It's all part of the plan. DC Talk here on Get Into Geek, episode 19. My name is Mitch, talking DC on the big and little screen. And we have not had an episode since some of the biggest news, uh, certainly pertaining to this podcast, has dropped over the last couple of weeks. And while it's old news now, it's uh, it's worth talking about, at least mentioning. Now, the first thing that I do want to talk about is the casting. DCU officially begins next year with Creature Commandos uh, as like a soft entry, the soft reboot, the soft beginnings of the uh, brand new franchise. But of course, the big capital beginning of the new DCU is James Gunn's Superman Legacy. Now back early in the year, we're talking like six months ago, we had David Corrin Sweat and Rachel Brosnahan cast as Superman Clark Kent and Lois Lane for the picture. But since then, it's been pretty scarce up until at least a couple of weeks ago where it was just bang, bang, bang. Now, the first one that was mentioned, of course, was Lex Luthor and Nicholas Holt, which still to this day, has not been confirmed. I don't think it has been officially denied either, of course, but it has not been confirmed, unlike the ones that came the next day. But first on Holt, I think on a surface level, I want to say that I don't like it, just because we're still kind of in that territory of a Jesse Eisenberg from Batman v Superman. We're like, ah. Oh, Okay, we're going for like a bit more of a a boy look. And Nicholas Holt, famously, everyone says, oh, he's the same kid from About a Boy. You know, that film with Hugh Grant from 20-something years ago. And for the most part, like Nicholas Holt, he's he stayed very youthful looking. And, you know, we've seen him in a bunch of stuff. I mean, we've seen him in the superhero genre anyway already as Beast in the uh, X-Men first class prequel slash requel films. And while with Corrin Sweat, he very much fits, I mean, very much fits that Superman look because he looks very much like the last Superman, especially if you see those photos of him recently after hitting the gym really hard for the last sort of six to eight months. The guy is looking jacked. He's been growing a beard as well, which really, really starts to resemble like exactly what Henry Cavill looks like, maybe just a few years shaved off. But we are going for a bit more of a youthful Superman. They obviously want to lay down some foundations ongoing. We get Rachel Brosnahan, who, when you look at her past work, a dramatic meets her comedy and somewhere in the middle and the way that her characters are very forward, they stand up for themselves. They're very smart, more, more intelligent than everybody else in the room. They're very forward thinking. They're out there putting that first foot down. It's very, very lowest level in a lot of the roles that she has played in her past. And the fact also that we're going to get this massive size difference because Rachel Brosnahan, apparently only like, you know, 5'2", five, 5'4", five, or something like that. David Corrinsweet is about a full foot taller than her. So if they're going to play with that size dynamic, not so much that Lois Lane needs to be short or anything, but I think when we get that, that sort of mid-shot where it's the two of them in frame and we're going to just see, really feel how massive Superman is, there's, there's a lot of sort of comic book boxes where certain things that a lot of fans online, I mean, a lot of them very toxic in the way they're doing it are ticking because of those things right so we get to someone like Lex Luthor and I thought okay are we going to be going for someone a little bit more menacing looking maybe a little bit older than Superman looking especially you know and, and someone who was a fan favorite around about the time of BVS or even after Jesse Eisenberg was cast was someone like and not just because he's bald it definitely didn't hurt the way that people like to fan cast him someone like a Mark Strong who obviously had been in the DC world before playing SNES in Green Lantern, but that sort of very tall, very slender, very bald, but very menacing, very calculated, very intelligent looking Mark Strong. Now, I think 
especially with his time in Shazam as well. His time as someone to be considered was well past, but someone in that vein, I thought, okay, James Gunny sort of ticking certain boxes, some very classic boxes with David Corrensweet and Rachel Brosnahan. Are we going to do the same with Lex Luthor? And then out comes this report that Nicholas Holt, who had been in the running apparently for Superman as well, which I also didn't really see again maybe it's just that that boyish look and i know that superman's got this you know the boy from the country sort of look but i think david corinswet has got that you know late boy early man sort of look that youthful 30 something whereas nicholas holt who is just about to turn 34 mind you still has that very youthful look and i think i was a little bit hesitant when i first read out his name only because i had been not against but not in a massive support of him as superman but then I start to think about all the franchises that this kid has missed out on in the past. I mean, we go back to something like Top Gun. He was in the running for Rooster. We go to another Tom Cruise film uh, with Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning. He was up for the role of Gabriel, the lead villain of the last film and, I guess, the sequel to come as well, which obviously ended up going to a much older actor. We go back to The Batman. He was also up for the role of Bruce Wayne against Robert Pattinson. We go back even further, he was up for the role of Jon Snow in Game of Thrones and also Prince Caspian back in the Chronicles of Narnia sequel. So the guy has been there a lot up there. He's obviously very much in the final stages of a lot of roles. People love what he's got, what he's offering. It just hasn't been enough to get him across the line for for whatever reason. And you think about something like Top Gun Maverick. He was about to play Rooster opposite Tom Cruise in a very key role. If you've seen that film, you know how much that really weighs into the emotional stakes of the film. Tom Cruise obviously really felt for the kid, really liked what he was offering, so had him in contention to play a role in the next Mission Impossible film, which, spoiler alert if you haven't seen it obviously delves a lot into computer technology ai and maybe having a young tech startup type character as opposed to an an older gentleman as it ended up being in the film probably would have worked maybe not better but certainly would have worked to nicholas holt's advantage and then, while not an entirely villain role, certainly villainous in the first half, two-thirds of the film, his role as Nux in Mad Max Fury Road, he was very frightening in that role. The, the unhinged sort of will do anything at any moment that he had going on in that film and something like The Menu as well, which is far different, but what he had going on in that movie, even something like The Great, which is satire almost uh, for the most part but just the way that he plays that role where you don't necessarily know if he's being truthful with what he's saying and what he's doing and how he's acting or whether it's for some calculated long con act that he also has going on. He can play a multifaceted character very very well so it wasn't too long until I turn around and thought no this is going to work out pretty well I think I mean James Gunn hopefully, I mean his casting doesn't really seem to miss. You look at something like Guardians of the Galaxy, how well cast a a lot of those roles are and how iconic some of those roles have become even just on a voice side of things whether it's Vin Diesel saying five different words across a franchise or something like Bradley Cooper and how much emotion was able to be brought out you look at that first movie and you want someone as loud and as over the top as Bradley Cooper playing an animated raccoon come the third film how much emotional weight needs to be brought out just from that voice alone to partner up with some wonderful visual effects his casting doesn't really 
really seemed to miss and did some great work, obviously, in the Suicide Squad as well with those things. But you want to think someone as key as Lex Luthor in what is going to be not just a Superman nemesis, but someone who's going to play at least a minor role, if not a, a key or a major one in the ongoing DCU franchise. He's not going to want to miss with that. It also might succeed where I think the BVS casting tried to hit as well. Like You think of something like a Gene Hackman and a Christopher Reeve. It's it's not quite the same thing. A Kevin Spacey opposite Brandon Routh, not really the same thing either, but something that they're going for where you've got a similar aged guy to Superman, right? Like your Henry Cavill Superman was in his early 30s. I, I got the feeling that Lex Luthor also in his early 30s. This guy that's got everything. Nicholas Holt, same. He's the same age. Or there might be a year difference between he and David Corrensweat. This guy who seems to be the same age, one with all of this wealth and privilege, another one with all this unlimited power and the craving that someone like Lex Luthor has for someone that seems in some respects he's equal in in age and appearance to some levels, but doesn't share his ideals and either at threat of using his power against Lex or not using it in the way that Lex would if he was bringing on that extreme jealousy. So in that, I think, if they're going to go for something like that, and on top of all the other menacing things that someone like Lex Luthor can do, that's going to work out very well for this casting. I think Nicholas Holt can nail that aspect of the character. What has seemingly been confirmed, though, was the next day with the casting of Eve Tessmarker and Jimmy Olsen. Now, Eve Tessmarker, Sarah Sampaio, who is a model, beautiful person, never seen a minute of her work, either on a catwalk, on a stage, on screen. I don't know much about her, but whatever she's going to do, opposite a maybe Nicholas Holt. And look, let's be honest, if James Gunn, unless he's just not wanting to hurt Nicholas Holt's feelings and missing out on another key role in a big franchise... Surely silence is golden and he is going to be Alex Luthor and they're just not announcing it for hashtag reasons. Whatever Sarah Sampaio is going to do as if Testmarker partnering it up, that version of this character with Nicholas Holt's version of Lex Luthor, can't wait to see it. And then you've got Skylar Gizondo as Jimmy Olsen and he just obviously looks like Jimmy Olsen. If you've seen this guy in anything, that, that sort of playful, joyous, infectious smile and energy that this guy brings to all of his roles. I mean, he's mostly known for those happy-go lucky and the comedies and all that i know he's got other things in his resume the guy i mean he's got a very bulky back catalog of films regardless of the fact that he's only in his late 20s so i love the idea that he's going to be playing a much more classic jimmy olsen and i know it's going against a lot of different fandoms out there that are like oh we're going back to the same old stuff we're going back to the same well and ticking the same old cliche boxes why couldn't we have expanded like they did in bvs where jimmy olsen was you know killed off without even really being known to the audience that he was there and he was working for, you know, government type, whatever. We're going to go for someone who sort of very much looks like he could wear a bow tie and get around saying the word pal and befriending someone like Superman but loving Clark and trying to get wedge himself into that that two-person team of Clark and Lois and becoming like a threefer. And I don't know, I just, I look at Scarlett Gisondo and I'm like, yeah, he's going to suit that. I can't wait to see what he brings to this world and an ongoing franchise as well. That out of the way, a week or two earlier, since our last episode, uh, there was some bad news with something that we very much talk about a lot on the show, and that was that Superman and Lois has been cancelled, and the upcoming fourth season will be its last, which... 
shouldn't come so much as a piece of bad news. It's more of a piece of expected, very anticipated news. I mean, the fact that the DCU, yes, quote-unquote, does kind of technically slowly start with Creature Commandos in 2024, officially kicks off in 2025, and as James Gunn came out and said, we're going to have, aside from the whole Pattinson Batman thing, and that's its own problem to sort out eventually ongoing we will have one version and one version only of the character and that someone like david corin sweat will be playing superman on tv in film in animation voicing him in video games radio plays whatever you want to do david corin sweat is your superman until he isn't we will not have someone like tyler hecklin playing superman on tv while david corin sweat plays him on films and in other tv shows that are tied into the dcu it's going to get too confusing we're going to have this very expansive but very inclusive very connected universe with DC ongoing and unfortunately that just meant the writing was on the wall from the end of last year that Superman and Lois was going to have its days numbered and those days have come to an end well soonish I mean season four is going to come out some stage in 2024 and that limited run I think 10 episodes we're getting will be its last the team would have known that probably going into season three or at least before the end of production on season three so they've got an end game that they can work towards it's unfortunate for those of us that are fans of Superman and Lois but again the writing's been on the wall since late 2022 we've had time to adjust and at least these guys and this team have had time to consider the fact that they are going to end and end soon and they can write around that and hopefully we get a satisfying ending we talk about the ending. I'm going to go back to the start in just a couple of minutes because I'm still going through my journey of uh, Superman and Lois back to uh, oh, season one, episode eight. Uh, look, let's not get numbers in the way, okay? Let's just push through these episodes. First of all, I did want to touch on the fact, I think our last episode, uh, we're going back a while, I still hadn't seen Blue Beetle. But I said between that and our next episode, didn't think it was going to be a couple of months, I would have the chance to see it. Did see one of its final sessions in cinemas and uh, I liked it. I mean, I will agree that the trailers did underserve the movie and it I think it was a lot more than it was advertised to be. It had more heart, it had more humor. The the action was a lot of fun, but I think I do agree the movie was what a lot of fans and critics were saying about it and that it felt a bit like a mid 2000s comic book movie, like somewhat at least. Like I think those involved obviously put a lot more into Blue Beetle than a lot of the noughties superhero flicks. And that's no slight on the effort put in back then, but I think filmmakers now more often than not have some kind of key connection with the character they're adapting, whether it be a franchise director or, or someone from the minority from which the character comes. Like you just look at Angel Manuel Soto here or or Ryan Coogler with Black Panther, or even like Kathy Yan with Birds of Prey, or Patty Jenkins with Wonder Woman. People behind the camera with this like certain connection to their lead character or characters. Now, I'm not part of Jaime Reyes's culture, but it felt very much like it was made by them, for them, and it was fun regardless. It doesn't matter whether you relate on that personal level or not. The movie's fun. You really get that, that family element out of the film. It was such a big part of the movie, and I guess it was a gamble, placing so much weight of the movie on the family and and their gelling, their connection, their chemistry, but I think they work, so I think the movie works. Maybe, too, it was just this absence of any great connectivity to a wider DC universe. Like, they mentioned things like Batman and Jaime very clearly starts the movie having graduated from Gotham University, but there's nothing there to suggest it's in the DCEU canon or the upcoming DCU or any other series of films we've had along the way. If that was intentional, it's one of the best things this movie could have done for its 
itself and its chances to stay relevant for the franchise upcoming because as Gunn has said, Blue Beetle the character, Jaime Reyes and Jello Maradueno playing him will continue. Blue Beetle itself, the film, will not. So we get to keep this character, we get to keep this iteration, but not necessarily, I guess, the sequence of events and the canon established in this movie. And if you've seen it, Spoiler alert if you haven't, though, for the next 15 seconds. The fact that we get a Ted Cord who is missing in this film and has been missing for the last 20 years, this Blue Beetle playing a part in either trying to find out what happened to him or would have in the sequel, maybe we get a Blue Beetle in the DCU and Ted Cord is very much still alive. And there's no questions asked, okay? We can move on. On Jaime himself, Jolo Maradona, he's great. He's endlessly charming. He, he nails that lighthearted stuff along the way. And it, it follows up with some great drama work as well. I mean, again, it's not just this action comedy. There's some, you know, pretty, pretty heavy moments there along the way that he has to nail. Otherwise, the movie doesn't work. And he does. And he makes the action scenes believable too. And honestly, I think that's all you need. You need that comedic timing. You need him to really sell that he's either in the suit or can hold himself in a fight and that he can hold a couple of dramatic scenes, and you've kind of crushed it. His family are great too. Susan Sarandon has a lot of fun playing this villain, like playing the type that she seems to be so against in her real life as well. So I think the movie worked. I mean, I could talk about it more and more now, but the fact is it's been out for a while and it's available for you to rent right now. Hit up Apple if you want to watch it now. I don't think it'll be too long until it hits streaming, and I do recommend that you actually check it out yourself. Superman and Lois, episode 8 of the first season, Holding the Wrench. Now, this has got to be this show's first non-linear storytelling episode, which was an attention-grabbing way to kick off the episode. It was the one very much where Lois, she's sitting in opposite a psychologist. She's going through some demons, if you remember this episode from season 1. Now, I appreciate it too that when the episode cut back to earlier in that day's story, it didn't feel the need to tell you it was 24 hours earlier three hours earlier, one hour before or something. It was very much there for the audience just to keep watching. It's like, you figure it out along the way. They don't need to hand feed us everything. And the non-linear worked well with, I think, what the script included before and after those scenes. I, I actually felt like after that cold open, I was looking for who it was that Lois was talking about. And by the time we got to the next scene with the Doctor... I actually thought I had a pretty good idea, only to be thrown in a completely different direction in the very next throwback scene. The episode, like, it's not hinged on some big reveal, but you still felt like it took a lot of attention, which was good. And then you're kind of asking yourself, for what? Lois was upset that she got angry at her son for nearly getting himself killed after he didn't listen to her persistent instructions on not to do so. Look, I hate to use the term, but maybe this is some kind of virtue signaling to the, the new way of parenting. I don't know. Not to sound all back in my day about it, but being raised between the late 80s and early 2000s, the idea of being screamed at by my mother for flat out not listening at being told not to go into a potential alien craft, but then doing so and be seconds away from being sliced apart by some kind of laser fire while she looked on helplessly. Um, I don't have a problem with that. And that might be because I'm a parent myself. In fact, I agreed with her in that moment to the point where when it was revealed that it was Jonathan and that incident that she went to the doctor for in the first place, I was actually massively let down. It's not quite as bad as the whole begging for an emotional reaction from the audience the other Arrowverse shows have done countless times over the last 10 years, but I just didn't buy it. 
Elizabeth Tullock, she has been amazing as, as Lois Lane so far this season, and I'm sure will continue on over the next couple of seasons. And she did everything she could with this particular moment. She did well with that screaming scene. It really, really, really well performed. Same for Jonathan opposite her. I just didn't get why it was such a big deal given the context and to sort of base a lot of, well, at least the, the intrigue around the episode from the very beginning around that incident, I was kind of, I felt deceived. Yeah, that's a bit of an extreme word. I just felt very let down. I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with this being a bad thing that Lois has done. I don't, I, I don't relate to her and her guilt, especially when it was revealed that Part of that reaction was actually thanks to the unresolved guilt of a miscarriage from like 15 years earlier where Lois, again, felt helpless to save one of her own children. I I don't know that it would have been my choice to have the Jonathan incident be the catalyst for bringing that up in the show, but we went from potential melodrama, which this show has avoided, into something actually serious. And again, Tarlick performed the shit out of it. So in the end, was it worth it? The journey was rough, but the destination, uh, yeah, okay, I guess so. One of the saddest, but also one of the greatest things about the Superman character is the death of his human father, Jonathan Kent, and how even Superman can't stop losing somebody like that, and that he can't stop all death, he can't stop all bad things from happening. Now, look, as a parent, Superman is still losing a child like any human can, and then we actually get to see that through Lois's eyes as well, because they're very much a partnership, and we've gotten that side of the story from Superman. I mean, it's in his genesis, losing his father. We get that all the time, the people that he can lose around him, the fact that he is kind of immortal when he's going to watch all these people die around him, so to see it from his very mortal wife's point of view and going through a very human tragedy... Nice touch for the episode. Also nice, uh, yet still sad, relatable moment uh, with the fake Luther, now known by all as his real name on both Earths, John Henry Irons. Uh, this episode started out as being a lowest episode for what seemed like one reason, only to finish as another. The the shared pain of losing a daughter of the same name too, mind you, which was enough to break through with Irons. He hasn't given up on his crusade to kill Superman nor does he see our Lois as his own, but simply her speaking to him about that shared experience of losing a daughter was enough to stop him when Soups was really at his most vulnerable. Lois is anything but a side character in this show, but for her first, I guess, lead episode, Tullock crushed it, and it all still felt very Lois in the way that she handled things. That's it for It's All Part of the Plan. This episode, we will have more of the DC TV reviews in our next ep. And who knows, maybe we're going to have some kind of confirmation about Nicholas Holt as Lex Luthor. Or as we near production, I mean, we're going to have to start hearing about some, uh, I don't know, Jonathan Kent, some Ma and Pa Kent stuff. Saw an interesting rumor or suggestion the other day that uh, Kurt Russell could be in the running. I don't know how uh, substantial that is. The fact that he played Ego under James Gunn's direction in the uh, sequel to Guardians of the Galaxy. I mean, there's some history there. Gunn loves working with his friends. That's what a lot of people criticize him about. The idea that someone as um, as big uh, that carries the gravitas of Kurt Russell when we're in a movie that we haven't got a very, very big name at the moment. Nicholas Holt is almost the biggest name in this cast at this stage, and he's still a young guy. You get you throw Kurt Russell in there as Jonathan Kent, I think that goes a long way when you have those names up on the poster. Until then, enjoy your DC TV, movies, comics, whatever you're doing, and uh, don't argue with people on Twitter. Get into geek.